I like to use the English Standard Version of the Bible. I find it to be a good compromise between readability and accuracy. But I recently found a subtle yet very important error in the ESV. In truth, it's a judgment call on my part to say that it's a bad translation. And it's only one word. But I believe that this word, when wrongly translated from the Biblical Greek to English, radically changes the meaning of an important passage from John. Indeed, this translated word gets at the heart of what this passage is really all about. Let's start by looking at the ESV, the English Standard Version. We're at the beginning of chapter 5 of this gospel. In the ESV, Jesus comes across a man who was lying near a number of disabled people who had been reduced to begging for a living because their culture didn't have a dignified way of caring for people with disabilities. Jesus sees a man who's been there for 38 years. The man's lying down, suggesting that his disability is perhaps neurological, that he must be paralyzed, perhaps from the waist down. Then Jesus says this, Do you want to be healed? The man says something that actually needs explanation. This is what he says. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. This passage probably means that there's a pool of water that's considered holy. When the water gets stirred up, it's believed that God is acting, perhaps by having set an angel to agitate the water. That's why the man's been waiting to get into the pool. He's paralyzed, and it's a healing pool. But the problem is that every time the water is stirred up, and therefore activated by God, somebody else jumps in before the paralyzed man can get someone to help him get into the water. He keeps being victimized over and over by people who don't let him in the healing pool. So Jesus said this to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. So to summarize, Jesus asked the man if he wants to be healed. The man indicates yes by claiming that others keep victimizing him by not giving him a chance to get into the healing water. Jesus then cures the man, making it unnecessary for him to even get in the water in the first place. The man walks away. But this isn't the best translation. Consider a popular Catholic Bible, the New American Bible, the Revised Edition. This one is closer to being correct. When Jesus speaks to the disabled man in this Bible, the N-A-B-R-E, it reads like this. Jesus said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, 
I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. While I am on my way, someone else gets down there before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your mat, and walk. Immediately the man became well, took up his mat, and walked. Here's the important difference. In this translation, Jesus does not ask the man if he wants to be healed. Jesus asked the man if he wants to be made well. Then the man isn't healed. He is made well. Now let's look at a third translation. It's from a Bible that's fairly new and that not that many people are familiar with. It's called the Literal Standard Version. This is what it says. Jesus says to him, Do you wish to become whole? The ailing man answered him, Lord, I have no man that, when the water may be troubled, he may put me into the pool. And while I am coming, another goes down before me. Jesus says to him, Rise, take up your pallet, and be walking. And immediately the man became whole, and he took up his pallet and was walking. This is closer still to what the original Greek says. Jesus asks the man if he wants to become whole, and then the man is indeed made whole. The point is that the Greek word that's translated as to heal in the English Standard Version, and to be made well in our Catholic Bible, or to be made whole in the literal Standard Version, is spelled in English characters U-G-I-E-S. And it means to be made sound or whole. It doesn't really mean to be healed or cured. In truth, Jesus heals the man but it's not because Jesus literally asked this man if that's what he wants. I'll get back to this. When I was just out of college, taking a year off between undergraduate and graduate school, I was working as a programmer in San Francisco. I happened to get car and rental insurance from a man who was quite elderly. I met him in his office I believe he was a farmer's or a state farm agent. He mentioned that he was 92 years old. And he told me up front, before we even talked about insurance, that he only worked at his age so that he could continue to advise young people. He certainly didn't need the money anymore. He said that when a customer was older, he sold that person insurance over the phone. But if the person, the client, was a younger person, he would always meet in person. I was the sort of young guy who didn't mind someone giving him advice, and so I said, that's fine with me. Mind you now, my parents were unsophisticated people who, in many ways, didn't prepare me well for the practicalities of the real world although they were very loving and caring people, and my father in particular, 
was a beautiful example of a man who lived as a true Christian. Now, this elderly insurance agent proceeded to give me all kinds of advice about life. Two things have stuck with me over the years. The first, he said, was that I should always live well below my means and save money. Even if it was just a little bit, I should invest some money every single month and while I was young, put it in the stock market. When he learned that I was an engineering type, he said that I should try to figure out what stocks and technology would be likely to do well over the coming years, and I should buy those. He said that if I saved and invested, then when I was older, if God told me to drop everything and to serve Him, then I'd be able to do so. I did indeed follow his suggestion, and several years before my retirement age, I did retire as a faculty member and answer the call to be a reverend. Now, the second piece of advice he gave me was somewhat less practical. This man, by the way, while he was indeed very old, was very clear-headed, healthy-looking, and he was very engaging. I listened intently to him. He told me to never let other people bother me. He said that other people couldn't really do anything to me, that only God can control my life and my future. He said to never be a victim. Don't ever let other people make you believe that they can control you, that they can decide your future, that they can make you suffer, that they can limit what you do in life. He said, do not ever decide that other people have cheated you, that you deserve some sort of payment or special treatment because you've been victimized. He repeated, never become a victim. Only you and God can decide what you can do and what you will do. This man, whose name I do not remember, must have passed away many decades ago. But what he said impacted my life in a big way. I saved and I invested. And when I met my wife, together we did the same. And I have always known that whatever I feel I should do, I can do it, as long as I'm confident that it's what God wants of me. Let's get back to that Bible story with Jesus helping the paralyzed man who's been victimized by people who wouldn't give him a chance to get into the healing pond. Jesus does not ask this man in a blunt, clear, literal way if he wants to be medically healed of whatever condition is making him unable to move about. Jesus uses a more general word, a more abstract word, and he actually asks a bigger question in doing so. He says, do you want to be whole again? Do you want to be sound? The man responds with a very narrow, practical reply. He says that he's been a victim, that other people have prevented him from doing what he feels he needs to do, and that is to bathe in the pool of healing water. 
Jesus replies by healing the man physically, in a literal sense. Jesus does indeed cure him of whatever is wrong with his body. But Jesus is doing this so that he can provide something bigger, something far more important. Jesus gives the man the ability to be whole, to be sound. Jesus allows the man to no longer be a victim. There's one more thing about this elderly man who gave me advice that I'd like to share with you. His office wasn't cluttered. It didn't look like a place where a man had spent 70 years being a professional. He didn't collect books, papers, awards, degrees, knickknacks, photographs, and countless things that he hadn't used in decades. His office was extraordinarily sparse. He had a desk, a small one, and it was made of steel. He had a bookshelf with almost nothing on it. I remember just one photograph, and when I asked him about it, he told me it was his son who had died 20 years before. There were no personal computers back then, and he had no typewriter. His chair was wooden and straight-backed. I suspected at the time that it was a kitchen chair. There was a filing cabinet, and after he filled out some paperwork on me, he put it in a manila folder and dropped it in the filing cabinet. He had a phone, a black one with a rotary dial. He noticed me noticing that his office had very little in it. He smiled and he said that this was the way to live. To collect only what you need, to try to not need things, and to remember that God will give you what you need and it won't be much. He said that's how you can protect yourself from being a victim. Now I have to admit that I haven't done a good job of following his third piece of advice. My wife routinely struggles to get me to dispose of old books and broken stuff, things that don't work anymore, and things we don't even remember where they came from. We go through periodic cleanups where we get rid of things that haven't been used in years. We went through a phase of tossing out old paperwork and now almost all of our records are digital. We have very little paper left in the house. But I do tend to get a sense of security out of stuff. I need to remember that God will indeed give me everything I need and that it won't be much. And that if you don't need much, it's very hard for people to turn you into a victim. If we don't need stuff in life, if we don't need the approval of anyone but God, if we live for the things of God's world and not for the things of the world of people, if we use Jesus as the person we emulate, rather than emulating celebrities who live only to collect stuff and money and honor and power and prestige and to be worshipped, it will be very hard for us to become victims. People can't cheat us out of things we don't want or we don't need. 
like money or power or earthly respect. People can't cheat us if we don't see them as having any true power over us. True power comes from God. True power is always exercised by God. And God does not want us to be victims. God wants us depending on God only for what we need and for what truly matters to us. And God will never victimize us because God is pure goodness. God doesn't compete with us like other people do. God isn't envious of us. God doesn't want to take anything from us. God doesn't want to be a celebrity whom we wish we could be like. God wants us to be made in God's image, to emulate the life of Jesus, who loved all people, especially those who had very little, treated everybody with honor and respect, and was very humble. Unlike many humans we come across in life, God only wants us to live in joy.